Well, amen. John chapter 18, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 18, verse 1. John 18, verse 1. We begin a new series today. It's our Easter sermon series entitled King Jesus. King Jesus. And we're going to look at some key events within the last few hours of Jesus' life before his crucifixion and resurrection, all of which most of us have read, all of which most of us have heard on multiple occasions throughout the years. But I want you to see in this series, in all of it, is that Jesus knew exactly what was to happen to him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was in complete control, despite that most people, even in his situation, his followers even, might look at the situation and say, it's out of control. We've lost control. Jesus was in complete control, and he was leading the entire city, the people, the world to this moment in history. He knew what he was doing. He was persistent, purposeful, and precise in all of it. He was the one driving the narrative. Thus, in what appears to be the most weakest moments of his life, his power, his authority, his supremacy, his kingship was on full display. Before these events, during these events, and obviously after these events. And I want us to see that throughout these next many weeks leading up to Easter, which is only like several weeks away. It's April 9th. And you'll see out there in the lobby, we have these cards with the title of the series on it, King Jesus. And on the back is a simple invitation to Easter. And we printed off many of them. We encourage you to pick them up, pick up as many as you would like, take them to work with you, take them to your neighborhood, take them to school, take them to wherever it is you go about. Um, Enid and the surrounding communities, and hand them out. Invite that person to join you, um, and we'll be talking more about that as the series goes along. But let's start here, John 18, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You'll see the words here on the screen, or there's one there in the seat back in front of you. Verse 1, this is what we read. When Jesus had finished praying, he left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into that garden. Verse 2, now Judas, who betrayed Jesus, knew the place, and he knew it very, very well, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Verse 3, so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers, some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches, lanterns, weapons into this garden. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out. And he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, that traitor, was standing there with them. 
And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and actually fell to the grounds. Verse 7. So again, Jesus asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. So Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And if you're looking for me, then let these men go. In reference to the 11 that were with him. And this happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those that you, Father, gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And that servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Verse 12. So then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and bound him. There was once a man who was rugged and handsome. He was a shepherd, a lion, a warrior, a poet, a musician, an author. He was also a king, one of the most famous kings to ever live. This statue here on the screen is of King David, and who I'm talking about. And as time moved on in King David's life, there came a conspiracy against him. You can read all about it in 2 Samuel chapter 15. A hidden plot to overtake him, to drive him out of Jerusalem. A plot to get rid of this king of the Jews. And this plot was put into place by those closest to him. As a matter of fact, the leader was his own son, Absalom. So King David and those who still remained as his followers, those whose hearts remained loyal to David, they gathered together in Jerusalem and they began to leave the city of David. David's very own city, Jerusalem. But we're told in verse 17 of chapter 15 of 2 Samuel that at the last house, as this group of people is leaving Jerusalem, at the last house, David stopped. A picture, a group of people being driven out of Enid, a conspiracy against them to get rid of them. And they're leaving Enid, being felt forced out of Enid. And they arrive at the edge of town and they just stop. David stops. And I wonder what was going on in his heart and mind, this conspiracy against him, his own son, those closest to him turning upon him. So he stops at the last house. Meanwhile, the the group of people that were with him just kept passing by. David was like the stone stuck in a river. And we're told that as this group of people are leaving the city, all the land wept. It's a sorrowful moment. A very sad moment. The king himself being driven out. And then David, the king, crossed the Kidron Valley. The same valley that Jesus crossed with his disciples hundreds and hundreds of years later under the same kind of circumstances. The Kidron Valley was a valley that is just slightly northeast of Jerusalem. 
It's the valley that would separate the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. A very dear place to King David and to King Jesus. So King David then continued on to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane lies. And we're told that as David went and he crossed the Kidron Valley and he went to the Mount of Olives and no doubt maybe into the garden, he's weeping as he went. And the world was left wondering, would the king return to Jerusalem as the acknowledged rightful king? Well, amidst this scene, as David is leading, as the conspiracy is against him, as he's crossing the Kidron Valley and so on, David said to one of those near him, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, then behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. In essence, what David said was, into thy hands I commit myself. I'm all yours, Father. I'm all yours, Yahweh. I'm all yours, Lord. Let your will be done. Fast forward to the Gospel of John. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, and nearly the exact same setting and situation is unfolding in John chapter 18. In the Gospel of John, we are told that this man, born in Bethlehem, the same community that David was born in, his mother a virgin at the time of his birth, one conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, one who grew up in the town of Nazareth, hence Jesus of Nazareth, we're told in the Gospel of John, in John 1, that Jesus is the Word of God. Emmanuel, we sang just a moment ago, God with us, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, the Word become flesh. In John chapter 4, we're told that He is the living water. In John chapter 6, we're told that He is the bread of life. In John chapter 8, we're told that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 11, we're told that he is the resurrection and the life. All throughout the gospel of John, and he does not want you to miss it, we are told that he is the I am. Thus his declaration, I am he, which I've already told you. We are told that this human being is the fullness of deity in human form as In human form, as Paul would later say, that he is God in human form. The exact imprint of God's very nature. That Jesus, the Word, who was with God in the beginning, who was God in the beginning, he's the one who spoke and it came to be. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. He's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the very one who spoke to Adam and Eve, the one who spoke to Noah and to Moses and Joshua and Gideon and David and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Malachi and so on. We are told in the Gospel of John, like the other Gospel accounts, we're given a picture from his teachings and from his miracles 
that Jesus is the shepherd. He's the lion of Judah. He's the warrior. He is the great poet and musician and author. And this Jesus is the king. As we sang, the king of kings and lord of lords. But as time moved on in the life of Jesus, we learn of a conspiracy against him. A hidden plot to overtake him. To drive him out of Jerusalem to get rid of this so-called king of the Jews. And this conspiracy came to a head, a breaking point, right after a miracle like no other. The miracle begins like this in John chapter 11. Jesus is there with his disciples. And he gets word that a very dear friend of his is sick. You remember Mary and Martha, Martha who's busy in the house, right? And she's got a lot of things on her plate, that kind of Martha. Well, Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And we're told by John that Jesus loved this family. And so Jesus gets word from Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, that Lazarus is sick. It, it wasn't the flu or it wasn't a cold or allergies. He was on his deathbed. It's very grave, it's very serious, and it's clear by their message this was a very, very tense, sad situation. And so what does Jesus do? He waits. He waits. Because Jesus was very persistent, very purposeful, very precise in everything he did. How he did it, when he did it, why he did it. He waits. Finally, he goes with his disciples to see the situation, and when he arrives, Lazarus has, has died. The funeral is already going on. And Martha comes to him, and Mar Mary would later say the same words, because you know they would have been talking about this beforehand and during the time that they were waiting for Jesus to show up. Martha goes out to him and said, Lord, if you had been here, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In, in other words, you're who you say you are. Why didn't you do something about it? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you heal him? Well, why didn't you, like all the other miracles that you did, why didn't you help us in our situation? Question some of us have asked God ourselves. Mary would later say the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. How could you let this happen? Jesus takes in the whole scene. The people grieving, broken. And then we're told that Jesus wept. But then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's an incredible miracle that got everyone talking. It's the miracle that compelled so many people that day to gather and throw cloaks on the ground and shout, Hosanna, Hosanna with palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. According to John, that's why many of them went out to greet him that day. Because of this miracle 
the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And right after that miracle in John's gospel, as though that miracle is what broke the camel's back, we discover that the plot against Jesus is really beginning to take shape. The conspiracy against the king, a plot to overtake him, to drive him out of Jerusalem, to get rid of him. And only a chapter later in John's gospel, do we fast forward a few days to the end of that week. And we're in the upper room. And we read a lot about what was done and spoken in the upper room. Even this intimate prayer that Jesus prayed. But then, King Jesus and those who remained with him, those whose hearts remained loyal to him, they gathered up. And in other gospel accounts, they sang together even. They gathered together and they began to leave the city of David. Just like David, hundreds of years before, under the same like circumstances, a conspiracy cloud hanging over them, Jesus, the king, crossed the Kidron Valley. That same valley that is slightly northeast of Jerusalem, which then separated the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives, the king then continued on to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. In a way, weeping as he went. In a way, the entire cosmos weeping as he went. And the world left wondering, will the king ever return to Jerusalem as the acknowledged rightful king? And then there in the garden, John tells us, Judas shows up. A puppet of the enemy, the betrayer, coming with a group of soldiers and officers, carrying lanterns and torches. It's nighttime out. Hidden by darkness, they come with weapons. And Judas, as we read in other accounts, greets him with a kiss, a a sign to say, this is the one you want. This is the one you want. And Jesus asks, who do you seek? Who is it that you're after? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, that one who grew up in Nazareth, that Nazarene, who's telling everybody that he is the king. And Jesus simply says, I am. I am he. And at that powerful word, they fall back and fall down. And it doesn't stop him. They most likely get back up. He asks them again, who is it that you want? Let's be very clear here what you came here to do. Jesus of Nazareth, I already told you, I am he. And then Peter, with good, intent, good intentions, seeks to defend him grabs that sword, cuts off the ear of a man named Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And as we read in other accounts, Jesus heals the man and tells Peter, hey, put it away. Because here in the midst of the scene, this is what Jesus then said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? 
In other words, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, into thy hands, Father, I commit my life. I commit my life not to those before me, but to the Father above me. Don't you understand, Peter, that I've come to do the Father's will, not the will of man, in all things unto death? Father, I'm yours. Let your will be done. So the soldiers, the officers, the captain of the group, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. And here's what gets me. He did absolutely nothing wrong. Wrongfully arrested. He's about to face a wrongful kind of night and death. And here's what gets me. He knew everything that was going to happen to him. He knew the Psalm 22s of the world and the Isaiah 53s and the others spoke of him. He knew that all scripture was pointing to him. He knew that what happened to David in 2 Samuel 15 would in a way happen to him. That one of the closest ones to him would betray him. He on multiple occasions said that he would face betrayal and arrest and trial and crucifixion. He knew, as John says here, he knew all that would happen to him. And we're just beginning. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was in complete control. Despite what appears to be in a situation that is out of control, Jesus was in complete control. He was leading All things to this moment in history. He was persistent, purposeful, precise in all of it. He was the one driving the narrative. Thus, in what appears to be a moment of great weakness and loss, it's actually a moment of great power and victory. His power, his authority, his supremacy, his kingship, right here is on full display. He was guiding everything. He was the inside man, if you will. The man who knew what they didn't know, what they could not see. He was in control. And what is his response to this wrongful situation? What's his response to his arrest? Into thy hands, Father, I commit myself. I'm yours. As David would say on those, that day, crossing the Kidron Valley, just like Jesus, let him do to me what seems good to him. And we read in the Old Testament that it was the will of the Father to crush him. That's our king. That's the king in whom we are to mirror our lives after. So now let's look at us for a moment. As we walk through this text. Some of us have been wrongfully treated. Wrongfully accused. Wrongfully spoken to. Wrongfully terminated. Perhaps even sabotaged 
by those closest to us. Despite it all, what is God calling us to do? In all things, in all circumstances, in all situations, turn your heart to Jesus and say to him, I'm yours. I commit my life, my soul, my everything to you. You say, well, Jonathan, how can you say that? How can that be our response? You don't understand the wrongful situation that I've been dealt. Because listen, the reason we are to respond that way is because it has to do with what Jesus said to his followers when they heard that Lazarus was sick. Jesus said, listen to me. You go read it in the early parts of John 11. His illness does not lead to death. It leads to glory. It has to do with what Jesus said to Martha. Listen, Martha, if you would just believe, though you die, yet shall you live. Your life, Martha, doesn't lead to death. It leads to glory if you would just follow me and cling to me. Pick up your cross and come die with me. Give your heart to me. Commit thyself to me. It has to do with the fact that Jesus didn't just foretell his arrest. He didn't just foretell his denials and the trials and the crucifixion. He also foretold his resurrection. He was telling them that the Father is in control. This is what Jesus is trying to tell Peter in this moment. The Father always at all times is in control. The Father is persistent and purposeful and precise in everything, in all things. The Father's will will be done. He was trying to tell him, tell them that the conspiracy, the rest, the denials, the trials, the crucifixion doesn't lead to death. It leads to glory. As Paul would later say, he was raised imperishable, raised with immortality, raised in honor, raised in glory. And God wants us to hear today that he is in control. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is God. He is King. And all our injustices that we might face, all the persecution, the trials, the suffering, the illnesses, the heartaches, the brokenness, the wrongful everything, our entire life, all that it's made up of, does not lead to death. It leads to glory. For those who freely and wholly commit thyselves into the hands of the Father, I'm yours. Your will be done. Well, time passed for King David. Eventually, his son Absalom died. The conspiracy ran its course 
And then this happened. 2 Samuel 19. The heart of all the men of Judah were swayed as one man. So that they sent word to the king. Return. Both you and all your followers, king. So the king came back to the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king. And to bring the king over the Jordan. Clear foreshadow to the second appearing of Christ, by the way. And the king came home to Jerusalem. For David, it did not end in death, but glory. For Jesus, it did not end in death, but glory. And for all who cling to the true and eternal king, King Jesus, no matter what you face, it does not end in death, but glory. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And for some of us, as we take time with these next many weeks just to reflect and remember what Jesus has done for us, what he has accomplished, for some of us, God's just calling us to reorient our lives under the kingship and lordship of Jesus, the one in whom all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to, the king. For some of us, he's just calling us to have that disposition. I'm yours. Let your will be done, not mine. I'm yours. I've come to do the will of the Father in heaven, not mine. He's calling us to reorient our lives under the lordship and kingship of Jesus. For others of us, men who have never surrendered lordship to Jesus, he's calling you, give up, surrender. Deny self, pick up your cross, and come follow me. Come be buried with me in baptism. Come die with me and be raised in a newness to walk with me forevermore. Into a new life in which death is not the end of the story, glory is. For those of you, he's calling you to baptism. For others of you, he's just calling you to pray. For others of you, maybe he's calling you to join the fellowship of this church. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, be obedient to that calling. Even as I pray, you come forward. But I'm asking you to stand with us as I pray. Father, we come to you right now, and we thank you for your only begotten son, Jesus. His obedience, his faithfulness, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Help us, Lord, to have the same disposition as King David when all things were turned against him. He committed himself to you. Help us to have the disposition of Jesus. When all things were turned against him, he committed himself to you. 
And their story ended in glory. Help us as your people cling to you no matter what, despite all circumstances, knowing that all of it doesn't lead to death, but to glory. May we be obedient to your conviction and calling on our hearts right now. In Christ in my prayer, amen. As we sing, you come.